Live from the Parent Nation studios, it's Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents, shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. Yeah, well, I got a news flash for you, folks. The problem with kids is parents. Excuse me, Sheryl Sandberg, but I'm not leaning in anymore. I'm sick of spilling my martini. <laughs> I'm serious. It's time to put the F word back in parenting. Fun parenting. Oh my gosh, why can't we do this? Why can't we have dance parties in our kitchens? I don't understand. And now, here's your host, Tara Kennedy Clive. Hey, Parent Nation, welcome to Fat Tuesday. <laughs> Fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday. Every day's Fat Tuesday for me, Kelly. I know, I hear you. Right? Oh my gosh. In Am I really ways, loud? Am I really loud today? Um, pretty good. Am I? Because I have my new, I have, I'm not even going to call them my new headphones. Here's the truth. I had to steal my kids' freaking headphones because my kids steal my earbuds every week. Right, right. And then I can't hear. And so now I have these giant honking, humongo, like 19, late 70s looking stereophonic headphones on my head. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then I have my hoodie pulled up because it's like 2,000 degrees below. Oh, you don't even want to know, girl. I don't even, don't even say it. Don't even say it, Kelly. Don't say it. Well, don't right now know. it's 61 and it's going to be 84. It's going to be 84. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it's going to be this weekend when I'm trying to walk around New York City at Toy Fair? What? Zero. Oh, no. That's a big fat goose egg, Kelly. That's Ooh. what that looks like on a thermometer. It looks like a zero. Ooh, with a little zero up to the right. Yeah, it looks like one of those things where, like, it's like you're you're like shocked. It's like it's like the emoji that you make off of your keyboard, <laughs> where it's like the big O and the little O. Right, right. That it's supposed to look like you don't understand. <laughs> it's like the confused emoji. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that's what my temperature gauge is gonna look like, as well as my face when I'm in Cal- <laughs> when I'm in freaking New York. Right. my bundookies off. And then, of course, when we come home, it's going to be 45 because mm, why well, not? I'm, I keep telling you, you should move to Arizona. Because welcome to New York, F you. That's <laughs> yeah, I'll move to Arizona when I get better at dealing with 120 degrees in July. Oh, well, you stay inside air conditioning. See, the grass isn't always greener. In your case, it's pretty dead and fried. Baked. We have we have fake grass. You have fake grass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny shit mm-hmm. right there. Oh my gosh! So, did you watch the Super Bowl? Of course. Who doesn't? Rooting for Denver. They've been my team since I was a teenager. Oh, really? You're a Broncos fan? Yes. So what was with your with your boy's little brother? Did you see did you see at the end of the game when little Manning was up in the box? Yes. And he, and he saw that his big brother had won another Super Bowl ring and he had that look on his face like when your brother takes your girlfriend to the prom. He was like <laughs> he was like he he's wanted- such a pouty little shit. Yeah. 
you know, everybody else was like, yay, not him. He was like, oh, I'm not the golden boy anymore. Jealousy. Mm-hmm. That's what There's, baby brothers act like. Right. There's always sibling rivalry. doesn't matter how old you are. It's true. It's true. I guess if you're both NFL quarterbacks, though, it's a little bit more intense. Oh, yeah. Do you imagine? Could you even imagine? Mm-mm. I have one kid that loves football and another one who doesn't even know what a football is. Yeah. Is it made out of feet? No. Oh. I don't know. He's just, he's, I have a geek and an, and an athlete. That's what I got. <laughs> That's a good combination. It is a good combination because they're, the only thing they fight over is the PS4. <laughs> so it's awesome. And they can play that together. No. No? Different it games. It doesn't always go so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Kids are weird. You just got to... I don't know. You just got to... Oh, okay. Here's... Let me tell you. Okay, so here's the example. <laughs> okay. The, the, the commercials. You're watching the commercials, right? Right, 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 right. right. So... Did you see the puppy monkey baby? The puppy monkey baby one? I guess I missed that one. It was a Mountain Dew commercial. It was combined the three best things ever for the new Mountain Dew. And it was a it was a pug's head with a monkey's body and a baby's like lower half, like diaper legs and stuff. It was puppy monkey baby. And my my one the the athlete son was like oh I want a monkey and the <laughs> other one was like are the people who made these commercials high <laughs> and it's like it, I I don't even understand like are 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 people getting really stupid in advertising are um, you seeing the stupidity of commercials or is it just me I didn't see any really really great ones this year they seem to be going downhill. They seem to be going severely downhill, and they're stretching so much. Right. And maybe they're trying too hard hard to be funny. I think they are. I think if you just focus on the reality of people's own funny, <laughs> do you know what it is? We've gotten so personally offended by so much stuff mm-hmm. that the only things we find funny are the outrageous that we couldn't possibly relate to a person. Right, and then we're a little bit in shock, going, what? Like, what in the fuck did I watch there? <laughs> right? But if you think about it, it's kind of true, isn't it? It is. Like, stuff used to be funny. Like, you would make fun of dads, and that was funny. Right? right. Because it was during the Super Bowl, and dads got it. And they weren't like, oh, I can't believe you just made fun of dads. They were like, ha, that shit's funny. I do that. And <laughs> Right? Or you would make fun of, I don't know, drunk people or bowling or you, you, like you made fun of things that were funny and you didn't have people going, my dad was a bowler before he got cancer and I resent that commercial. Right. You know, like, I, I, I mean, I know it sounds crass, but it's the absolute freaking truth. Like, I can't even, oh, I, I can't even. And everything has to be equal now. Like, you can't have a funny commercial about just guys because then girls will be like, why weren't there any women in that commercial? Right. You know? And, oh, don't even get me started on the halftime show. Oh. Oh, for Pete's sake. No, I liked Coldplay. 
I like yeah, that. But did they really have to be a cartoon character? And then the real talent came out? Like, that's <laughs> how they portrayed them. It's like, here's this anime version of a white band. And now we're going to have, like, Queen Bee and Bruno Mars come out and kick ass. And make Coldplay look like the monkeys. Seriously. Puppy monkey baby. Oh. I didn't like it. I didn't like those stupid flowers. I understood that they were trying to make a statement, but I think they could have done it in a better way. They were trying to make a a statement about the LGBT community. Yes. I think they could have done it in a better way. I think they made it look frooly, like frou-frou, like like childish. I, I think they're I think it was dumb. And then and then at the end Coldplay was the you know, the the geeky white kid trying to squeeze his face in and photo bomb the, the cool kids at the football. Right. He's Do you know what I'm saying? Around. Right. He was yeah, walking like around it. like the monkey all hunched like over. It. Yeah. Exactly. He was the monkey all hunched <laughs> over. Trying to photo bomb. Yeah, it's like, let me in, let me in. Yeah, I wanna be in there. Wait, guys, I want to be cool. Yeah, I didn't like it. Yeah. I'm feeling judgy. What happened to the Michael Jacksons and the Justin right? Timberlakes? And... Damn straight. I would have rather seen Janet Jackson's nipple in that moment <laughs> than, than Beyonce half falling over and trying to catch it and act like she didn't. That was a slick catch, though. Did you see her almost fall on her butt and then bounce back? like? She yes, I did. I did. Like, oh, hell no, I didn't fall. Mm-hmm. No, I am not fallen. I am Beyonce. I liked it better when they were do, when they did like classic rock, like Tom Petty and those type yeah. of people. I like that they showed dead people. Oh, well, it was the fiftieth anniversary, right? It was the fiftieth. Well, they showed all the prior. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of them were were no longer with us. I know. And here's the other thing: Did you not think? Okay. Yes, I was supposed to be on jury duty yesterday, and I wasn't called in, so I was just judging the world Okay, instead from my living room, being crabby and cold. (laughs) So here's the thing. I so wanted to hate Lady Gaga's performance. Like when I saw it was her, I wanted to not like it because it was her. I wanted her to do something flamboyantly ridiculous over the top that made it bad, like a Roseanne Barr moment, right? (laughs) <laughs> but it wasn't. She nailed it. She truly nailed it. There right, was she right. did she was on key for her vocal range, people. So if anybody compares her to Whitney Houston one more time, I'm going to throat slap them. They, d- d- she doesn't have the same vocal range as Whitney Houston. Right. There's right? there's no comparison. They're apples and oranges. That's exactly. That's, you know, it's ridiculous. It's like trying to have James Earl Jones impersonate Adam Levine. You can't do it. (laughs) doesn't have the vocal range. But for her vocal range and her brand, it was spot on. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. It was a fantastic performance. And her shoes were amazing. (laughs) And it wasn't a pink suit. It was a red suit and her nails were blue. She was red, white, and blue people. Figure it out. America. Merca, damn it. And and yet people had to find fault with it. People had to be like, oh, well, it wasn't Whitney Houston. Yeah, you're right, because Whitney Houston's dead because she was a drug addict. So let's put that out there. Is that the, mo- is that the role model that we want our kids to look up to? 
No, we're going to look up to Lady Gaga, who is unique and brilliant in her own way and nailed it. So there, screw you. I don't I don't think that it is necessary to compare people unless you're going to compare them all the way down to the nitty gritty. <laughs> so those nitties and gritties can get pretty complicated. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. And you noticed that they were trying to find a way to to um show that Peyton Manning has ever been as temperamental as Cam Newton. What the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> He didn't even talk that much. <laughs> it was one syllable. It was clicks and squeaks. And then he walked away like a puppy monkey baby. And <laughs> <laughs> his diaper. Did you, yeah. I have to tell you, the last play of the game that made me think that he deserves a pay cut was when that, when he fumbled that ball and then went, oh, no, I'm not putting my hands in that melee. No. <laughs> I'm not going to go for that dirty ball. Look at them all scrambling down there. Nah. That made me thought, boy, you don't deserve to be where you are. You don't deserve the position that you have. Because you're not willing to put it all out there in the Super Bowl. <laughs> well... So tell us how you really feel, Tara. Uh, I know. <laughs> so on a happier note, hey, did you read that if you eat chocolate cake for breakfast, it'll help you lose weight? Um, no, but sign me up. Yeah, speaking of Fat Tuesday, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I just read um, I just read an article that said that people, they did a study of, they did like these people that were like 250 to 300 pounds and they were on a weight loss program, all of them together. And half of them, they let them have dessert at breakfast and carbs, right? And in the first part of the study, they all lost an average of like 30 pounds in the first part of the study, but the ones who ate the carbs and the sugars and the chocolate for breakfast went on to lose an additional 15 pounds on average beyond the other people. And what they're saying is, here's where it gets sciencey, Kelly, so you know it's for real. But they're saying put on my nerd glasses. Put on your nerd glasses a second. So what they're saying is that the carbs and the chocolate and the sugar in the morning regulates uh, your hunger hormone, which is ghrelin or something like that. That's what my belly does when I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be ghrelin. It'd be ghrelin. So (laughs) anyway, they're saying that when when you are satiated in the morning with those things, that you don't crave them later on in the day, and so you have more time to work them off. And, um, and so how cool is that? That's awesome. I like it. I'm excited about it. I can't wait to get started. I'm going to start doing my cake diet after I get done eating these Foss Knots. Do you do Foss Knots? <laughs> do you know what Foss Knots are? I, no. Oh, I'm sorry. What are well, they? Well, I'm from Pennsylvania, so on Fat Tuesday, we eat Foss Knots, which are basically these deep-fried donuts without a hole. Mm, like beignets? Yeah, 
Yes, but softer, more like a donut, more like a Krispy Kreme than a beignet. Mm. Right? But without the sugar. And then we put turkey syrup on them. Wait, and, what? And yeah, it's not really turkeys. It's, and it's not gravy. It's not molasses, but it's kind of like molasses. It's turkey syrup. It's kind of like molasses. So we basically eat fried donuts with no hole with molasses on them. Okay. And that it, sounds wonderfully. Yeah, it is. And then we eat shoe fly pies too. <laughs> Do Don't ever- bother me. <laughs> Love living in Pennsylvania. <laughs> we eat the weirdest shit on the planet. I guess. We do. We eat Scrapple. Oh, do you know what Scrapple no. is? I've seen that on the Food Network. It makes me puke. Yes! It's awesome. So, Ugh. you know, scrap basically when you're describing Scrapple uh, from a butcher's point of view, it's you basically what I, I've heard it described as this. We use every part of the pig but the squeal. <laughs> so anything that's not like a pork chop or bacon or pork roast or whatever, anything that's left, we turn it into scrapple. Mm-hmm. That makes it even sound better, Tara. I won't. <laughs> Are you trying to sell this or Just fry it and then you put us. apple butter on it? Oh. Fried scrapple with apple butter. It's so grizzly and nasty and it's so great. <laughs> it's like paste. Oh, did I love where I live. <laughs> oh, and speaking of disgusting things, yeah. guess what? Our first guest is going to talk about STDs. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dr. Davis Kennedy, Dr. Katina. I'm just going to call her Dr. Katina. She's going to be our first guest, and we're going to talk to her about um, having the talk with their ki- with your kids. And she sent me a book, STDs. Let's talk STDs. And um, it is the most disgusting picture book ever. Don't, it's not one that you leave on your table. Let's put it that way. Oh, goodness. uh, But she has some great information for us about talking to kids about sex. And then in our third segment, we're going to talk to, um, we're going to talk to Kathy and Kristen. I think one of them is sick today, though. Kathy's. Kirsten. Yeah, about curious conversations. So, anywho, we'll be uh, back in a minute. So, stay tuned. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. This is the Toginet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. It's Virgin Network. 
think engaging in small talk with prospective clients before business negotiations is a good idea? A new study from Nova Consulting Group suggests that it all depends on whether you are male or female. The study found that a little chatter by female professionals before a meeting will generally produce a positive image but not always positive results. However, male professionals who begin negotiations with a little small talk usually glean favorable returns. This is because there is a preconception that women are already expected to be more communicative than men. And when a man makes small talk, he is perceived as friendlier and likable. But beware that babblery or gossip will only get you into trouble. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? (laughs) It's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now, back to the show. Hey, Parent Nation. Welcome back to the show. So, Kelly, I got this book. Uh, like a couple of months ago from Dr. Katina Davis Kelly, and she's going to be talking to us about it in a few minutes. But um, I got this book and I had uh-huh. it sitting on the table and um, it's my kids. It, it, it's called let's talk STDs. And it's like, it, it's, it's really big letters, right? So my, <laughs> <laughs> so my kids picked it up. And the first thing, like, you know how when you, like, thumb through a book until you get to something that lo- that's a picture and then you look at it? Yes. So, the, the fir- well, the first picture that we came to was chlamydia. Oh. <laughs> and so I was trying to explain to my kids that, you know, this, th- this is, like, you know, this is normal stuff. This is like, you know, this, these are things that you have to be careful of. This is why we use protection and all this stuff. Now my kids are like so grossed out. They're convinced that they're not going to have sex until they're 40. They're oh. like, you know, this because they're because I never knew that there were this many STDs available. Like, like, <laughs> to choose from? This many. This, there's like this, there's like this whole shopping list of STDs. And I didn't realize that there are different types of STDs. Like I always, I thought like, you know, well, we all know about crabs, you know, right? And so I thought, but there is like, there's like 20 different types of STDs out there that you can get. And I had no idea. It's absolutely disgusting. So, um, so we were talking to we were talking to the boys about it, and we've decided that the best um, the best thing to do is to just masturbate. Oh, okay. So I've done an entire video series on that about how to teach your kids about that. Oh, well, let's put that up on Facebook <laughs> so everybody can learn about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be saying that because my kids are going to listen to the show and they're going to be like, Mom! (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, when you were were a teenager, did your parents have the talk with you? Um, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, but did you... Okay, so was it like basically wait until you're married or did they actually have a talk with you? 
Um, wait till you're married. Really? Yes. So they didn't really talk to you about having sex. So what was your first, what was your first introduction to what sex was? How old were you? Let's go to there. Let's go to that road. Oh, fifth grade, I'd say. No, wait a minute. Did you say fifth grade? Oh, not for me, but hearing about it. Okay. But I thought that's what you meant. All right, Kelly, I thought Sorry. we were going to be going <laughs> crazy road with you right not now. Not having it. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, you know, out on the schoolyard playground. Right? Like, I was like, Kelly, do you know what sex is, like, now? No. <laughs> um, well... No, no. Kidding, only kidding. No, but okay, so like the first knowledge that I've ever, like the first time I ever heard about something that was sexually related, yeah, you're right. I was probably in like fifth grade or sixth grade, right? So yeah. what is what does that make us? What did that make us? Twelve, ten, twelve? Yeah, maybe, yeah, twelve. Yeah. So did you know that the average... Um, age that kids start learning about sex or um, start experiencing information about sex is nine. Really? Nine years old, yes. And in certain parts of the United States, the average age to lose your virginity as a girl is 12 and a half. Oh, no. Um, that's in that's in southern, some like southern states with, um, I hate to say it, but lower education rates and that sort mm-hmm. of thing like the end there they preach more abstinence than they do education and so that's why I asked if when your parents had to talk with you if they actually talked about sex itself like my parents didn't talk to me about actual sex until I was probably 15 or 16 years old mm-hmm. and I said that I wanted to go for birth control oh Yeah. And so I, and, you know, and that's why I'm such a huge advocate for Planned Parenthood because they, you know, Planned Parenthood teaches a lot, gives a lot of information and they do an amazing service for young people. You know, I went to Planned Parenthood, I started going there when I was like 15, 16 years old and I wasn't even having sex yet, by the way. And I went there for information and education and they gave me contraception. They gave me pamphlets. They sat me down and talked to me. They told me about all of these, these STDs and all this crazy stuff um, that I had no knowledge of because I think that we as parents are so skeeved out about the thought of our kids having sex or knowing that we have sex that we don't want to talk to them about it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, it's weird because I think we have to look at, I I did a panel one time when I was doing a moms and bars thing shoot. Okay. And we did a panel about the, what, you know, when you think, when you would be okay with your kid telling you that they're having sex, what age? And what do you think that age is, Kelly, if you had to give an answer to that? For me personally or what everyone else said? No, what you personally, what, what's your personal opinion? What would be an age that you would be okay with your, your child coming to you and saying, I'm, I'm having sex? Mm, 18. 18. Wow. And do you think that that's reasonable 
or do you think <laughs> wishful thinking? <laughs> For the masses, no. Yeah. And see, I think we forget, we, we so quickly forget the age that we were when we not actually had sex for the first time, but, but started thinking about it, started thinking about the opposite sex or, you know, I can't even say that anymore, started thinking about <laughs> sexual relations with a person that we were interested in. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that that starts happening. Um, well, I mean, obviously the studies are telling us and, and the science is telling us that that starts happening around 11, 12 years old. Because kids are reaching puberty two to three years earlier than they were 40 years ago. Did you know Mm -hmm. that? Yes. How scary is that? It's the chicken. And everybody's like, "It's it's the steroids in the chicken. It's making our children horny and it's making their breasts big. That's what everybody's trying to say. I'm I'm pretty sure it's not the chicken, but it might be. It could be the chicken, unless you're vegan. Well, they put they put extra hormones and crap in all the food nowadays. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I grew up on a farm. I, did you know that about me? Yeah, I grew up on a chicken farm, and we had cows and we had chickens. And one of the first things that we gave the peeps, we would get them when they were still wet. And um, one of the first things that we gave them was a vitamin water solution that had hormones and steroids in it to make it grow faster. Oh, so that, that was my next question. Did you give hormones and stuff to them? We did. We did. So they were free range and organic, but yet we gave them, we gave them natural growth hormones. Okay. Yeah. So... There you go with that. So it's that whole organic free range thing isn't always the end all be all. Um, mm. So anyway, oh my gosh! Hey, Doctor Katina, are you there? Yes. Hello. How are you? <laughs> hello. I'm great. Kelly and I have just been having this awesome conversation about sex and chickens. Oh wow! <laughs> not not sex with chicken. Not sex with. I know, chicken. yeah. <laughs> but I was telling her, I was telling her about how I got your book, and I had it sitting on the coffee table because I wanted to see the teenagers in my house. I wanted to see their reaction to it, and of course, they picked it up and did that thumb through it thing. And the first thing they came across were the pictures of chlamydia. Yes. And now they've decided that they're not going to have sex until they're 30. Good, good. That's why I'll put the pictures in there because, you know, the pictures really, really grasp the attention of the teenagers, you know, period. Because sometimes, you know, they they don't want to read through it, but when they see something interesting, then they'll, you know, that catches their eye, then they'll, what is that? And then they'll read further into it. So definitely the pictures were very essential for the book. (laughs) And they are amazingly graphic. Like, I didn't even need to see crabs close up. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And the lice and... (laughs) That's crazy. That's crazy. So you've been a nurse since, for, like, forever. um, And you're... You're a, currently a nurse practitioner, but you work mostly with teens and women. Um, why did you write a book about STDs? 
Um, I wrote a book about STDs because um, this book is a guide to prepare parents for the talk. So it, it gives information about that, but it also gives information about STDs. So it gives a little tip to the parents on how to approach their kids. Because a lot of times the parents, um, you know, sometimes they're not in the dating field. They're married. So, you know, they, they've gone on with their life pretty much. And they forget about STDs. And so they have kids that, you know, is entering to the, to the sex world. And they need to have that talk. And they're not educated themselves to talk to their, their teens about this. So it's very important that before you even sit down and talk with your kids, that you are educated yourself so that you'll have that knowledge to talk to them as well. So it's about giving the book to the parent, you're reading up on it, reading the information to equip yourself to be knowledgeable to educate your kids. So here's the thing. Here's one of the things that Kelly and I were talking about earlier. You know, the the science and the studies are telling us that kids start learning, you know, having getting their first information about sex when they're about nine years old. Um, So but typically like myself, I didn't my parents didn't talk to me about sex until I was 15 or 16 and I was ready to go get birth control. Um, you know, Kelly said that she would be comfortable with it, uh, with her children having sex when they're 18, which we mm-hmm. all know is a, is a nice comfort number because they're considered a legal <laughs> adult, but it's not realistic. So exactly. do you recommend that parents of tweens, like 11, 12, 13, get this book and then just kind of leave it sitting around like I did at, so that it sparks a conversation? Because let's face it, parents don't want to talk to their 11 year old about sex. Exactly. And as we know, 11-year-olds, they, you know, go through puberty around that time. So that's when a lot of the females uh, have their periods around that time. So definitely should have the talk during the tween age. And the reason why I said as early as nine is because, believe it or not, when you enter, you want to have that talk with your child before they enter into middle school. Middle school is what, of the sixth grade, so that's 11 years old typically, so you mm-hmm. want to have that child, that talk with the child that's in the fifth grade entering into that because guess what? When they interact with these eighth graders or seventh graders, uh, a lot of oral sex takes place in the middle school population because they don't see that as actually having sex. Mm-hmm. So it's important that, and a lot of people don't realize that uh, in middle school they are having a lot of oral sex and oral and STDs can be transmitted via oral sex as well, as you saw from, from the book. We have chlamydia. We have herpes that can be transmitted through oral sex. We have genital warts that can be transmitted as well. So you, it's very important that you have that talk prior to entering middle school because the actions of oral sex is actually taking place as early as sixth, seventh grade. And so you that want your is... child not to be talked into or not to be um, – uh, you know, talked into having oral sex, and you want them to know that it's, no, it's not good because a seventh grader can approach a sixth grader who and say, oh, this oral sex is nothing. Just, just lick me here or suck me here, and they'll do it, not thinking that there's anything wrong with that. So you have to have that talk. It's so important before they enter middle school. And I think the other thing that's really important about what you said too is when we hear that immediately, we go, oh, hell no. But we have to know, step back yes, and go, definitely. right? <laughs> but we we have to step back and go. This is going to happen, and it's better to have my child prepared and educated than ignorant and infected. And I, you know, I, I 
we we think that if we don't talk about it and if we put shame around it, that that will guilt them into not doing it. But peer pressure is so much stronger than any guilt that we could put on them. And the the excitement, the adrenaline around doing something that you're not supposed to do, that's you know yeah. going to make someone else like you more. It's driving our kids to do things that we don't even want to think about and would make us vomit if we did. And it's just, exactly. it's craziness. Chaperone, if you don't believe us, right? To, honestly, Dr. Davis, to chaperone a middle school dance sometime. Parent oh, yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Am I right? I've heard about it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Grinding circles and, and all kinds of, I, would, I was like stepping in between 12-year-olds, <laughs> like, make room for Jesus, kids. Like, back it up. Yes. You got to yes. get no way. And it was, it was absolutely crazy. So, oh, my gosh. But yeah, we, I and a lot, really a, a lot of parents you. think that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry that we didn't get to have you on for longer. We are uh, like actually wrapping up the segment now. I want to have you come back on in the very near future so we can expand on this conversation because honestly, we have like 30 seconds until we have to go to our break. And I want to make sure that people know where to get your book. So, where can people find your book? Okay, great. It's called Let's Talk STDs A Guide to Prepare Parents for the Talk. And you can find my book on Amazon.com, um, Barnes and Noble. It's, uh, it's available via paperback and, and uh, electronic as well. So any of the online bookstores, you can definitely find that. And also on my website, www.drkatinakennedy.com. Again, www.drkatinakennedy.com. So awesome. Amazon.com, so my website, and, and so forth. And educate you. yourself, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, Dr. Davis, and I appreciate you being here. And when we come back, we're going to talk Congratulations about on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. heard that a great big giant pumpkin has brought a ton of excitement to the Wisconsin Cedarburg Wine and Harvest Festival. This humongous pumpkin weighed in at over 2,000 pounds. That's over a ton. This Ostrobogulus pumpkin is now the largest on record in North America. Ostrobogulus is a word for the bizarre and interesting. Gene McMullen grew the colossal fruit in Streeter, Illinois. Some of the big fall festivals will pay the winner of the biggest pumpkin contest up to $25,000. That's a lot of money for a fruit that's 90% water. Believe it or not, there's a word for the fear of turning into a pumpkin. It's called apocolosymposis. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. 
Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? <laughs> it's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now, back to the show. Hey, Parent Nation, welcome back to the show. I am super excited to have our next guest on. Um, unfortunately, we are not going to have both of our guests on, but we're going to have, uh, but we're being joined today by Kathy Taberner. Um, and she is, she's written a book called The Power of Curiosity. And the thing I love about this book is it talks about um, how we've lost the ability to just let kids. And and actually, it's it's a it's an office kind of corporate environment book too. We've lost the ability to just be curious and make mistakes and learn from them. And um, so I was I was reading through this book last night and had some really great conversations, open ended conversations with my teens um, based on the stuff that was in this book. So I'm really excited to talk to Kathy about it. Hey, how are you doing, Kathy? Hi, I'm fine, thank you. Thanks Good. for having the show. Absolutely. So you wrote this book with, is it your daughter, Kirsten? That's, that's right. It is. And so I, I, well, first of all, I love that you did this as a mother-daughter collaborative. I think that we don't do, um, we don't have enough information out there by parents and their kids talking about how these processes benefit both. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And she and Kirsten has kids. So it's a three generational thing, although um, our the grandchildren were not involved in writing it, but they were certainly part of the observations and the experiences. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. I love that. That's, you know, I if it weren't for the struggles that I faced with my own kids, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Oh, you know, yeah, so. I mean, I've been in the childcare field since I was 12 years old, but it still took my experience as a parent to move me into a different level of coaching and, and education and all that. So I totally get what you're saying. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So tell us about what drove you to write this book. Well, I was working in healthcare as an executive coach and teaching a coaching program. And one of the fundamentals of coaching is to be curious. And what I found was everyone said, yeah, the model's fine. But it's so amazing to really listen and be present, to be open to what others are saying, to ask open questions. And so everyone began to, the, the feedback kept coming back the same thing. I had the most amazing conversation with my my spouse, my child my whatever or someone at work and it was totally different and you know my child said thank you for for having this different conversation with me and we were hearing that so often that I began to talk to Kirsten about it and say hey you know there's something here so we began to play with just being curious and just saw the power in it and began to use it with our clients and the book evolved out of that a lot of people encouraged us to go ahead and write the book and supported us as we went along so it's it's been um a work of love and and um it's been an amazing experience to go through with my daughter that's pretty awesome i think a lot of people don't realize that that's the difference between coaching and counseling yes you know like with counseling you go there for answers 
Yes. You, you know, counselors are trained to tell you what's wrong and to tell you how to fix it. And in a coaching environment, it's really the coach's job to sit there and just be present, hear what you're saying, reflect it back to you and help you guide yourself to your own answers. That's right. And I think this this same um, process is so effective when parents start talking to their, their children, it doesn't matter what age, from a place of curiosity and really beginning to understand the perspective of the child. It's so funny because a lot of one of the biggest complaints that I hear from parents is that their kids are um, that their teenagers particularly are argumentative and disrespectful. Yes. And it's, it's kind of amazing because when you take a kid who's argumentative and disrespectful, that's what you're being told. And you start to reflect back to them and ask them these open-ended questions and say things like, well, what if, or have you thought of, or, you know, those kind of things. It, it changes their demeanor immediately. It does. The, there is an incredible power in curiosity because people began to feel that I have a voice. Someone's listening to me. Someone wants to understand me. It's, I love that. So what is, um, I know that you do this for um, corporate environments because that was your, that's where this started for you. How, how does this work for parents? Well, it's the same. It's the same process, and in the book we go through the process, and it's it's about um, just being able to be in a place of ambiguity and to really listen to others and to seek to understand them. And for parents, you know, when when Kirsten was a small child, you know, let's say a seven year old, I could think back to when I was seven and our lives weren't that dissimilar. I mean, things had changed obviously, but now when she looks at her seven year old daughter with technology, with the cell phones, with, you know, everything that's going on, her seven-year-old daughter is living a very, very different life than she did at the same age. And so parents need, if we're, as parents, if we're going to keep our kids safe and we're going to really partner with them to help them become the best they can be, which is what every parent wants, then they need to begin to understand where that child is at because it's a very different place than they were at the same age. So curiosity helps them to begin to understand their child at whatever age, be it 4, 5, 15, 20, 25, it doesn't matter. We can begin to, by asking, by being present, by um, choosing to be open and non-judging when we listen to ask those questions, it helps people um, begin to understand their kids and their kids begin to feel listened to. So I have to ask you because you know me I'm the I'm the mythbuster you know we've so we've gone from and you have a chart in the book and I wish I could find it cuz I was just reading it last night but it was basically like we've come from we've shifted the paradigm from telling people what to do to asking them what they want to do you, you like yeah. from telling to asking from judging to accepting from blaming to non-blaming do you believe that we've kind of shifted the needle so far to the right that we've created kids who um, don't understand boundaries, who don't respect, respect, you know, like don't understand respectful conversations, who don't, do, do you understand where I'm going? I do, yes. And I think that, um, 
It's a very interesting question. I think that a lot of parents now, based on the reading and, and observing, um, expect, have a different relationship with their kids. They want to almost be more a friend to their children, and they don't set up those boundaries, as you say. And so they're, it's not a, it's nothing to do with curiosity. They're just allowing their kids to do more because they're not quite sure where they can put a boundary up. And, you know, for instance, my, my daughter's going through her son's in grade four and everybody in his class has a cell phone but him. And, you know, that boundary is there. <laughs> that No, not yet. Right. <laughs> um, and not everyone is putting up those boundaries or they have different boundaries. And I think it's important for every family to understand, to appreciate their own values, to understand them, to name them, to define them and to live by them. Because what's right for one family may not be right for another, but it's up to each family to define these values that can then create the boundaries and can help them stay as a whole family the way they want to be and and curiosity can be used within that you know how to if someone has a boundary of safety and we talk about this in the book and a child you know a teenager wants to go to a party that's going to go till two in the morning the parent you know can then reflect back on that value and say how does this support you in being safe right and that's the child can give you know say well because this is how i've thought it through or oh you're right i'm not going to be safe Either way, that boundary is there, and the the child is a, is an equal part of the conversation, and can it, it helps them to begin to make their own decisions, as opposed to just being given carte blanche to do anything and everything. Exactly, and I I love that you put it that way because I do believe that we've taken this all or nothing approach to this new paradigm and this new shift in parenting where, you know, you can't say no and you don't want to ruin their self-esteem and you want to, you know, you want to be a trustworthy source. And it was kind of weird because I was having the same thoughts recently with my own teenager because there was a, there was a tragic situation in my area recently where a, a group of teenagers went to a party and even though the the kid that couldn't drive knew that the driver shouldn't be drinking, but was so terrified to call for help that they got in the car anyway. Ooh. And I thought, you know, that is, those are the three dynamics when we talk about parenting. We talk about, you know, completely allowing everything where you're the friend, you're the peer, and that's the one who lets the kids drink in the house and buys alcohol for the kids and wants to be the kid's best friend because you don't want them to, you know, you want them to look at you as a buddy that they can tell anything to. And then you have the kids who are so terrified of their parents that they will do anything to avoid the wrath of their parents. And then in the middle, you have the kids that you're talking about, the kids who know that they know that they can call you at two o'clock in the morning and you will come get them and yeah. there will still be consequences. Yes. But the consequences for me having to come get you at two o'clock in the morning are going to be much less severe than you being dead. Absolutely. Right. Like I'm not going to condone you drinking, but I'm also not going to put myself in a position where you don't feel that you can tell me that you've been drinking. Yes. And I think curiosity was really supports that middle section where um, they, 
it, it promotes um, or encourages kids to speak up. It um, messages that the parents believe that the, the children of whatever age have a voice, that they have their own wisdom, that they can make their own judgment calls, and that together they'll sort through to ensure the safety of the child. But it's not, it's the parent is doing it as the parent, not as the buddy. Right. Exactly. So you're, yes, it's that, you know, letting your kid go outside and play for three hours in the snow, but knowing that when you ring the bell, they're going to come home. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's like, if we, they don't, then you can have the conversation can come from that place of the value of safety, for instance. So, you know, we build, our family has a value of safety. How did this behavior support that value when you didn't come when you, when I called you? Right. And then and, do you and then do you believe that there can't be consequences? Because if there are consequences, that stifles curiosity. I don't think it stifles curiosity um, at all because I think that um, curiosity is about exploration and better understanding each other. It's not about the consequences at the end. Ah, thank you. (laughs) So what, what, what parents mean to me, what's so important is that parents can use this to better understand their kids, what their kids are doing, what they're thinking, how they're navigating their life at whatever age they're at. And once they're curious with their kids, their kids will begin to be curious with them to better understand their perspective. And I really firmly believe the role of the parent is to be the parent, not the buddy. And um, so there's a difference between a buddy doesn't necessarily understand you. They allow you to do things. A parent can understand and still create the boundaries. Ah, that's so perfect. And I wish more people, more parents would get that. Did you, do you struggle working with your daughter on the, on these projects? Not at all. We have, it has, um, as she said so often, and it, it, we, it's, it's given our, we had a good relationship as a mother daughter, but this has given us a totally new dimension in understanding each other and appreciating each other as, as individuals, as professionals. And, um, it's been such an incredible gift. I, I just, it's one of the best things that's happened in my life. That's fantastic. I feel the same way about my kids. You know, people look at me and they're like, oh, you know, you got lucky. No, I don't think I did. (laughs) I think it's the, you know, it's, it's kind of like mixing that old school parenting with, you know, with what's going on in the world today with modern circumstances. And, you know, you can, I don't know, I think you can raise kids that are enjoyable to be around if you do what you're talking about and set those boundaries and still allow your kids to find, you know, their own natural brilliance and, and explore their own curiosity. And I just love all of the things you do. So do, can parents connect with you directly and work with you directly? Absolutely. They can, um, we have a website, instituteofcuriosity.com. Um, and, or, and we have the contact information. It's, you can contact either one of us at, um, the Institute of curiosity.com. And, um, we work with people, we coach individuals, we'll do group, um, um, seminars, workshops, speaking engagements, whatever. So we, you do group, you do group coaching programs too? Yeah. 
Oh, that's fantastic. And we have a set of modules that are in their final stage of development that will be um, out hopefully within the month. Oh, that's fantastic. And where can people find your book? Um, at most, uh, at Amazon, all the, the online um, bookstores and some bookstores still have it. I'm just not quite sure which, li- which brick and mortar bookstores have it in the States, but um, it's definitely available online. Great. And the book is called The Power of Curiosity, How to Have Real Conversations that Create Collaboration, Innovation, and Understanding by Kathy Taberner and Kirsten Taberner-Siggins. Thank you so much, Kathy, for joining us today. And thank you also to Dr. Katina Davis-Kennedy. And uh, her book, again, is called Let's Talk STDs. Parent Nation, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, join us on our Facebook page or check out my website. I'm always loving to hear what you have to say. And until next week, everybody, keep playing. Seriously, Parent Nation, not every decision in parenting has to contain a hidden message or a life lesson. Sometimes it just has to pass mom's little barometer of, is this going to shut them up? Connect with Tara online at TaraKennedyKline.com. Until next time. Remember this. Parent Nation, why do we keep calling this the hardest job on the planet? Why don't we just appreciate the gift that we're given and try calling it?